The fear of giving sufficient powers to Congress for the purposes I have mentioned is futile. Without it, our independence fails, and each assembly under its present constitution will be annihilated, and we must once more return to the government of Great Britain and be made to kiss the rod, preparing for our correction. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at the unique challenges faced by the Republic this week. We'll cover other news stories in our Hot Take segment and wrap with our Guardian of the Week. But first, Patrick, it was kind of a big week for you as uh, Mm -hmm. 538 Nate Silver came out with their six A-plus rated pollsters out of 430 pollsters, and six of them or A+, plus, which is, I guess, the highest that you can be. Um, and the six were uh, Siena College, New York Times Upshot, Marist College, Muhlenberg College, ABC News, Washington Post, Selzer & Company, and the number one pollster, as ranked by 538, was Monmouth University. And that is you. So... <laughs> yeah, I teach you. It's a little bit like winning. You won the uh, Academy Award this week. Uh, I guess yes? so. Yeah, if we if we have one, um, that is. Uh, yeah, thanks and thanks for for mentioning that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, obviously, every pollster tr- out there is trying to get it right. Uh, one of the things that. Um, helps us, I think, with the rankings in 538 is that we actually go into some very hard-to-poll races. And that, that, they take that into account, that you're, you're working in races that, that are a little bit more dip- difficult to pin down. So but it's I, like, a, like in the Olympics with diving? It's right. The, you get a degree of difficulty score. But, but really, honestly, Patrick, yeah. you're number one out of 430. That's, um, yeah. I mean, that's really good. That's nice. not top 1%. That's top 0.2%. That's number one. That's, you know, the best. That's really something. And one of the, you know, I'm very grateful. I, you know, we have a great time doing the show. Uh, if you were in the top 100, I'd be j- proud uh, and enjoy doing this with you. Top two, I wouldn't care. I didn't do it because of that. Um, but the fact that you are the number one rated pollster uh, in the country is uh, is something. So I feel lucky that I get to talk to you about polls and about where we are as a country every week. And I'm grateful for our listeners as well that they get, really, I mean, you know, you're the Meryl Streep of, uh, of, of pollsters, which means that the president thinks you're overrated, right? Uh, I guess so. I guess so. And, and like Meryl Streep, one of the things I try to do is keep my ear out for all those different voices that are out there across the country. I can't mm-hmm. replicate them like she can, but, um, you know. But you, that, can, I, you can poll them. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I didn't get into the polling business uh, to predict elections. And that's what, the, you know, these ratings are based on, you know, how well you come, how close you come to the elections. I really got into polling because I really wanted to understand what makes people tick. Um, and I think, these results are a reflection of me being able to do that. Uh, But that's why when we talk about polling a lot on this show, I I try to spend less time talking about the horse race numbers and more about what's underlying it. So like this week, we had a poll poll out, we had a couple polls out, so somewhere about 2020. But our other poll, the poll that I find more interesting and more important, is the poll where we asked a lot of questions about impeachment. So the Monmouth University poll this week. And we found 
that overall, you know, Donald Trump's approval rating stays about the same. Support for impeachment is about the same as it was. It's uh, in the in the low 40s there. And this is in line with what everybody else support for. I'm sorry. The, wait, 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 wait. The support for impeachment and for removal, impeachment and removal is in the low 40s. Le, yeah, low 40s. What was the number? Really? And, because and, most places were seeing it around 49 percent. What number did you guys? So our, our number was 44 percent for. 51% against, Whoa. and 4% who said, I'm, I'm not sure. So wait, those numbers have, have actually shifted, Patrick, from the last time? No, not from, not, from our, no? not from my last time. Remember, I polled right after the Ukraine news broke at the very end of September, and we had mm-hmm. almost exactly the same. 44% for impeachment and removal, 52% against. Okay. okay. You know, so, so those numbers that haven't changed. Now, they've shifted from where they were before the Ukraine news broke. But that's why you see the polls are all over the place depending on how they ask, ask the question. But they're all, all pretty much in the same ballpark. What we hear, the number that is important here is about the House inquiry. And right now we have 51% who say it's a good idea, 44% say it's a bad idea. Okay, yeah. It was, and that number's been moving up. It was 41% back in August when they first started it. It was 49% who supported the inquiry uh, when the news first broke, and now it's 51%. Uh, so we do have a majority, it's a slight majority, but we do have a majority who support um, the inquiry itself. But the number, but the, what I really wanted to talk about was not those top line numbers and not the fact that uh, Donald Trump's approval rating is sitting at 43% approved to 51% disapproved, which is identical to where it was a, a month ago. It's this other part of the question that I ask, which is, is there a possibility, is anything that Donald Trump could do to make you change your mind about how you feel about him? Yes. And a year ago, 41% said, yeah, I might change my mind. And they were evenly split between approve and disapprove. That's now down to 31%. And that means more people are saying, I'm dug in. So, for example, I approve of Donald Trump. I'm not going to change my mind. That's 27%. I disapprove of Donald Trump. I'm not going to change my mind. There's nothing he can do. That's 36%. Right? Both of those numbers are now bigger than they were a year ago. Mm-hmm. It means what we're seeing is that folks are digging down and doubling down on how they feel about Donald Trump. And there are fewer and fewer people in the middle who really are open to changing their mind about him. Now, there are two I'm surprised. Th- I'm surprised, actually, that those numbers aren't larger, that people aren't more dug in yeah. at this point. I mean, you know, when, we, when we're talking about it here, you're noting that it's gone from 41% of people who are open to change to 31%. I'm surprised there's that much. Yeah. I would think. Now, remember, that, we're, the question we're asking is not like, do you strongly support him or do you, or, you know, somewhat support him? We're asking, is there anything he could do? Could you see him doing anything that would change your mind? So uh, 31% is a low number who say, um, I'm not even open to changing my mind. Now, I, I understand what you're saying. You know, with the way we're talking, the way the world's going, uh, you think it would be even yeah. uh, smaller than that. I would think that, that it would but be 40% and 40%, you know. Got to uh, remember, and this is, here, here's, yeah. here's, here's my Meryl Streep uh, listening voice coming, coming in, is that we still, a significant chunk of the American public tries to keep politics out of their life. Okay. All right. Well, so, then. so you know, we're, we, we talk because we're in this milieu where we're all talking about politics all the time. People who listen to us are, are talking about politics. But there is a large chunk of America out there who wish politics would go away. And that's why 
They're not overly concerned with some of the things that we're talking about on this show, about the challenges to the republic. You know, what's, uh, you know, how this could have a long-term impact. They're worried about putting food on the table, making ends meet. A lot like actually what happened in the Revolutionary War. You got to remember, there, there was a mm-hmm. huge chunk of, of, huge chunk. of Americans during the Revolutionary War who said, thought, it really doesn't matter to me one way or the other whether we're, own, we're our own country or we continue to be British. I'm yeah, still going really to live my, live my life it the was, same way. It was sort of one third, one third, one third, where right. you know you had a third of the people who were hoping to just stay with England, a third who were looking for their own country, and like you said, a third. So okay, so I guess that that's uh, we're back at the American Revolution in a way. Yeah. So I mean, th- that's where I think we are. But the challenges this week are that if you get fewer and fewer people who are able to move, who say I'm going to move my opinion, mm-hmm. then you get this uh, digging, digging down into your trenches and uh, it lessens the likelihood that these leaders that we are turning to, to mm-hmm. protect the republic, to defend the republic, to defend these constitutional norms, to kind of bring us back from the edge of this abyss, are less inclined to take that stand and go out there and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, and I, that's, so that's So let's talk about our challenges uh, this week. So they're sort of the same as the last week. Uh, more of them, even, is, uh, because as more evidence comes out, we're seeing more of the same kind of stonewalling. Uh, we have down here that Lindsey Graham, we were talking about Lindsey Graham and how he's, as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, he is not going to read the transcripts. What is your take on that? Yeah, okay. So we're hearing from a lot of these Republicans who don't want to comment on the impeachment inquiry because they say, I'm going to be a juror. Lindsey Graham said, oh, screw that. I'm going to be a juror and I'm not going to look at the evidence. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's, that's what's amazing about that statement. Yeah. It's not that I'll look at the evidence. I'm disinclined to believe it. It's that I'm not even going to look at the evidence. I know how well, I'm going to vote already. Yeah, because if he does look at the evidence, he probably won't find a way that he couldn't avoid what's going on and what has happened during that time. So he, in a way, it's kind of smart because there's no way he's certainly before March uh, 30th of 2020 when his primary is done uh he he cannot do anything but support the president completely you know it's like when you're playing poker and you're you, half your stack is in and then the other opponent says all right i'm all in like you have a choice like you either go all in with it or your 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 day is over and i think that that's where lindsey graham is he's just like i'm all in i'm all in on donald trump I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I've said. I don't care that I was on Axios HBO two weeks ago saying that if there is real evidence of a quid pro quo, that that's something that is going to be problematic. I don't have to look closer at. Well, now we have that evidence of the real quid pro quo. And he's sort of saying, well, yeah, well, you know, I'm not going to read that because that's just going to not work in my narrative. Let's say we don't have real evidence. We have irrefutable evidence that there was a quid pro quo. Yeah. And Rand Paul this week, um, on Hannity, which I caught, uh, was talking about the whistleblower and saying how he could call out that whistleblower at any moment, uh, which is, is sort of shocking if you think about Rand Paul and Lindsey Graham, two of the senators who, in when running for president in 2016, were the most vociferous mm-hmm. in their opposition to President Trump, are now the two sort of best lapdogs for President Trump. Um, or attack dogs for President Trump. Um, and I have a friend who was my historical advisor on Turn uh, Washington Spies, where uh, he plays General Washington all over the country. And he uh, he pointed out to me um, and sent me an article last night 
from the History Channel, uh, describing how whistleblowers have been protected all the way going back to the Revolutionary War. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, where the U.S. the U.S. government has long made protecting whistleblowers a priority. In fact, just seven months after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Continental Congress passed what Allison Stanger, author of Whistleblowers, Honesty in America, from Washington to Trump, called the world's first whistleblower protection law. The whistleblowers who sought protection were 10 American sailors and Marines who had reported improper behavior by their Continental Navy's most powerful man. Having already answered the call of the new nation to take up arms against Great Britain, the officers gathered below the deck of the USS Warren on February 19th, 1777, a very delicate time. This is not a time where America was mm-hmm. was running the running this war. Uh, to sign a petition to the Continental Congress documenting abuses by their commander, Commander Essex Hopkins, lacking any legal protections for speaking out, the men understood that they could be branded as traitors for denouncing the highest-ranking American naval officer in the midst of war. And the Continental Congress protected them the world's, at that time. The world's first whistleblower protection law. Yeah. That's how important this is to yeah. to our system of government here in the United States. And now Rand Paul goes on Hannity and says, I could say the person's name. I, he obviously knows who the person is and says, I could say it right now. And this goes back to what you talk about, about the public trust and how our republic is built on that trust and well, understanding. Of I'll tell laws. you how dangerous this is. The, of revealing the whistleblower. This is not just some people need to understand that this is a huge challenge to the, the strength of the Republic is that even the uh, head honchos at Fox News have instructed their evening hosts not to out the whistleblower. They even yeah. understand that this is this could be a bridge too far, that this could undermine our the, everything that that keeps our our nation safe as well as trustworthy this is the role of the the press is under attack with this because you know this is the whole thing about where your sources are coming from the need for an independent press you know what what did jefferson say if i have a a choice between a strong government and a strong media i'll you know basically i'll toss the government out and right. this whistleblower is part of that and actually at this point it's not it, it's a talking point more than anything else which yeah, because is, so, everything he said was true. I mean, yeah, when, when and everything bl- has now been corroborated by. Well, you're outing the whistleblower involved. for. are outing the whistleblower for saying for, the truth. Yes, and for for political expediency to say, well, this is this is not fair because there's some guy who's blowing the whistle. Yeah. but that's what helps keep the republic moving forward. So let's let's. The whistleblower could have been Chelsea Clinton at this point. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Because is that a scoop? <laughs> no, no, no. She's, I don't think she's working let's, in the White let's House. Let's be clear that it's yeah, not yeah, Chelsea no, Clinton. No, no but I'm saying it. Can, no. But I think that the reason why they want to out the whistleblower is they're going to try to find some connection between the whistleblower and their uh, spouse having given five hundred dollars to the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016 or something like that. You know, that, that's yeah. what they're going to try to do, and somehow that will then undermine what the whistleblower said. But of course, it can't undermine what the whistleblower said because it's all been confirmed by the White House itself. But now we get to now we're going to get to where we're really we really want to get to today, which is recap recap in a way of why we do the show to begin with. Um, there was an article in the Atlantic where uh, it was talking about what's going to happen when this all ends, when President Trump is either removed from office or if he's not elected again, and you know how are things going to move forward, and what are your thoughts about that, Patrick? 
Yeah, I think um, we have to think beyond this. And, and, you know, we've been talking about this. This was one of my concerns about having an impeachment inquiry. That's right. Was, Absolutely. Uh, was if we did that and it becomes so overly partisan, it would allow people to dig in on both sides and then just simply say this was a partisan uh, exercise, either if you're a Republican, you would say it's a witch hunt. If you're a Democrat, you would say the, the Republicans just simply didn't want to look at the facts and that and and you would you would continue to rip the Constitution apart. But we're now in a point where we have to we have to proceed down that path. There's just too much evidence to prevent us from doing that. And I, I want to read a little bit from from this article, which I think was is interesting. Uh, they said um, this episode, as all things must, will someday end. It may even do so without the erection of a full-blown autocracy on the grave of the American Republic. Wow. Trumpism may be rejected in a fair national vote, and Trump may in fact leave office, and a semblance of a rule of law may be preserved. And then it asks, but what then? Can Americans unsee the lawless bacchanal of the past three years? Can they pretend it did not happen, and that the fellow citizens who so readily discarded law and honesty, they never did so? That's... That's uh, it. That is heavy because let's look back at uh, Nixon's resignation. So what did uh, Gerald Ford do right away? Pardons Nixon because he mm-hmm. said that we needed to move beyond this. We needed to, we needed to, the country needed to heal. And if this became a long, drawn out uh, judicial process, a court process, that we wouldn't be able to heal. Now, again, remember, these are different times. I've, I was talking to... Um, a reporter who's of the uh, baby boomer of the uh, Vietnam era. And he was saying, well, we didn't trust government back then. I said, that's you. That's not the people who were in power. Remember, the people in the power at the time in the 1970s were of the greatest generation. These were folks who trusted America. And so it was easier for them to see Richard Nixon as an aberration of the norms and say, well, we can move beyond that. Let's just move. This is not mm-hmm. how we are. Richard Nixon was just one off. We can't do that anymore. This no. is not a one-off. This is how things are. Donald Trump didn't just pop out of nowhere. It is, further in this article, it says that Trump has, one way or another, changed our national life irrevocably. When one side of a political struggle has shown itself willing to commit crimes, collaborate with foreign powers, destroy institutions, and lie brazenly about facts readily ascertainable to anyone— should the other side, can the other side, then pretend that these things did not happen? I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, if President Trump does leave, if he, if he decides that he's not going to uh, run for re-election, possible, if he, uh, if he loses and actually does leave office, that's what I found so fascinating about this article, was the, the person sort of saying, you know, let's say everything goes according to hope. <laughs> Then what? <laughs> because the institutions have been irrevocably shifted yeah. and changed. Yeah, I, don't I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't think we can do what Gerald Ford did. Um, yeah, because, we've had that conversation before where yeah. I say, if, if, if Trump will agree to leave office, give Pence, I, I, I said this once, I, I, where I talked about let Pence, I don't care, let Pence give him a pass. And you said, no, yeah. we can't give him a pass because that just suggests that the person who's in the executive branch can do whatever they want with absolutely zero consequences. Yeah, it's funny. Remember, we started this podcast over the summer. Uh, we've been talking about, you and I have been talking about these issues long before that. And through that point and through the summer, 
you were saying, let's impeach, let's impeach, let's get Trump out of office. And I'm saying, no, 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 let's not do that. And now we seem like we've kind of flipped in, in many ways um, that, you know, now we're looking at the dangers of what's to come with this, but we have to do it. Yeah. And right? I, I am I am curious how how it's going to play out. I mean, I, I don't disagree that we need to move forward with this process at all. Um, I, we, we definitely need to move forward with this process, but it's, it's going to, it's going to challenge us every step of the way. Well, and this no is, question. but, the, but we still are at the point, can we pretend it did not happen, even if we get past this? But no, I think what are, are we going to get past this? I mean, are, we still have that, that open question is, do those in power understand what Ben Franklin, the, you know, and Nancy Pelosi loves throwing this quote around. And, um, so do you. And I do. Except she said it wrong. She said a yeah. republic if we can keep it. Yeah. And it's not. It's a republic if you can, you keep, can it. keep it. You because can keep it. But Franklin no, wasn't going to be around that much longer. But actually, she was right in the sense that when Franklin was talking about if you can keep it, he was really talking about those in power. He was talking about the Speaker of the House. So she was right in saying, if we can keep it, because that's who he's talking about. Mm -hmm. That's true. As, but uh, it's just not the quote. No, it's not the quote. It's but, not the quote. But there's a, they need to realize there's a sacred trust there that our founders have put in, into them. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, when you're exercising the levers of power, they fully believed that they didn't, they didn't feel that the public was going to protect this. And as we said... The public's the, not the going to. They're not because they're not, most of them are not engaged in this, and and the founders did not expect them to be engaged. Also, the in founders the same way. didn't expect it. the founders also did not expect the political parties to have as much power as they do. That right. was, this was True. not part of their equation, and because the founders were not expecting that, they saw there were going to be one hundred or however many senators that we had at the time who were independent-minded people who would see certain situations. They did not understand right. that. 246 years later, what we were going to see is, you know, two political parties that had the power to help keep people in line, right. whether at, it be on most, the left or on the right. At most, what they expected were factions, um, mm -hmm. and there would be multiple factions, and they'd be based on certain interests, some some very parochial uh, interests, and so they would be fighting against each other, but not not dividing themselves into two distinct parties. You're right, they didn't do this. So, the you know, the question that I have here is, is will... Will these folks wake up? So what I really mean is you know, it's a, the, the story of Oedipus where he finally wakes up one day and realizes, oh, my God, I did this. I destroyed the city. It was me who did this. And I'm, I'm not sure that we're going to get to that point. I still have hope. I do. Indeed, I have hope. And that's what uh, the next couple of sections of the show are going to be about, of how, how that might come to pass. So let's move on to our hot take segment where we're going to have 90 seconds to discuss a specific topic or news item. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. So, Patrick, you have the first one. Yes. So public hearings next week. The, mm -hmm. the impeachment hearing goes public. Uh, so... Will this change things? Uh, we heard about, uh, you know, Robert Mueller as a, as a witness did not do it. What's the difference here? Right. So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people who are sort of saying, you know, Robert Mueller was supposed to be the magic bullet that was going to change everything. And now people are talking about the, the public hearings and maybe that'll change everything. And people are sort of saying, well, if Mueller didn't change anything, how are these hearings going to change anything? This is from a performance perspective. Robert Mueller went up on, did not want to testify, period was asked to come in and did almost against his will. Basically, his goal as an actor was to put on the worst show possible to make the least amount of news 
to be the least, uh, you know, entertaining. If you were on stage, it would be entertaining. And if you were political to, to make news and kept going back to please just go back to please go back to the report. Just you read what's happening in the report. There was there was a goal on his part to keep things quiet. Well, now we're opening up with Taylor, with all these people that we've been discussing over the course of these last few weeks. That's not their goal. Their goal will be to tell the truth and to get that story mm-hmm. out. So the difference between what Mueller was able to do, I think he accomplished his goal. Keep things quiet. Don't become the center of the news story. These people are coming in with a very different goal, and I think it's going to have an extremely different effect. What do yeah, you think? I, I agree. I think because they're really upset at what they see internally as uh, destruction of national security, you know, undermining national security, destruction of norms, uh, that, you know, they have, they, they want to their voice, they want to hear, have their voice heard, where mm-hmm. Mueller was trying to, you know, play it down the middle. I don't want right. to be Mueller part was of, trying to make sure his voice wasn't heard. I don't want to be part of this story. I don't, I mean, and again, I don't think these people want to be part of the story. I think they realize that they have to be part of the story. Okay, now I'm going to ask the number one pollster in America to talk to us about this past Tuesday's election which uh, was uh, somewhat interesting, one must say. Uh, did you see any overall trends? I, I did. Um, and I, I mentioned a little bit at the top when we were talking about polling, but the, the, the big trend seems to be that Democrats did well in Democratic areas. Republicans did well in Republican areas. And so the focus was on a number of things. We'll talk about the Kentucky governor's race in a minute. But uh, the Democrats picked up the legislature, in uh, Virginia, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially and, going into 2020 with the census and the redistricting. Right. And that that's a huge deal, although they have a commission on redistricting now. But what we saw is we saw a loss of a, legis- a Democratic legislative seat in New Jersey, which nobody was paying any attention to. But that happened to be Congressman Jeff Van Drew's old seat. Congressman Jeff Van Drew, one of the two Democrats who voted against the impeachment inquiry. Mm. Because what's what is his seat? He was a Democrat holding a seat in a in a in a Trump friendly area. And what we saw is the suburb, suburbs, like the Philadelphia suburbs, their county seats in this Philadelphia suburbs go more Democratic. Mm-hmm. But then we saw the county seats in coal country in Pennsylvania, where Democrats were still holding on because of their historical hold on that on, on those powers, to- topple in in this Trump phenomenon. So we're seeing the red parts of the country become more red. We're seeing the the blue and purple parts of the country become more blue. That means that Pennsylvania probably is going to swing a little bit more blue. But maybe places like Michigan and Wisconsin, which still have a huge rural area, Trump could potentially still do well there. Yes. Okay. Moving on. All right. So uh, I said Kentucky, and I know you were looking at Kentucky. Uh, I was, yeah. So you think there are any implications there for uh, Mitch McConnell? Well, I think that Steve Bashir, who was the Democratic Attorney General and the son of the former governor, was a fantastic um, candidate for office. And Matt Bevin, who was the incumbent, was a terrible, (laughs) (laughs) terrible candidate. He was hated by everybody. You could even see when Trump and and uh, Bevin yeah. were standing next to each other. Trump was a little bit like, yeah. Well, he, proved the, he proved the rule. You can try to be Donald Trump, but unless you are Donald Trump, it doesn't work. 
Well, That's we're going to talk about one person who might be able to pull that off later. But I will say that Bashir really was was a fantastic candidate. I, I also, five of the six five of the six races in Kentucky went Republican. So it, it, we can't really go full in and saying, "Well, this is a signal that you know Kentucky is going to go blue," even though the uh, suburbs of Cincinnati on the northern part of the state did go blue and used to be a, a, a sort of red counties and now went blue. I think it had a lot more to do with Steve Bashir who I watched give his uh, his speech, his, you know, congratulations to himself speech, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it really was. And I was like, look at this dude. Like, you should be running for president right now because he's able to communicate with people in Kentucky and get them to vote for a Democrat. It is surprising. But again, I don't know that we can go all in thinking that this had, you know, it's a, it, it had a lot to do with the incumbent. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. Uh, it, Matt Bevin was historically unpopular. He had ticked off a lot of people there. Um, and as you said, the other races all went Republican. So I think McConnell's probably safe, even though he's not all that popular in Kentucky because he's going to be He's less on, popular than Bevin, but I'm not but, sure that McGrath but can pull But he's running off. on Trump's coattails there. Um, okay, so now we, we have news that little Jeff Sessions, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, that Jeff Sessions is uh, considering a run for the Senate back in Alabama. What were your thoughts about that? Yes, uh, I think it's fascinating, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, backlash against him uh, from the Trump uh, supporters. In fact, uh, I saw a, a tweet from Congressman Matt Gates, very dangerous guy, uh, right? Uh, who basically said this is a bad idea; he shouldn't be doing it. Uh, and so Jeff Sessions is as bad as a Democrat to most Trump supporters, so, which is insane. Uh, yeah, that's which insane, is, right? It's amazing. He, he, because he would win that seat. Right. He's going to beat Doug Jones for that seat. Like, he's going to win that if, seat. If he gets the nomination. R- right. But <laughs> it would be foolhardy. This is Jeff Sessions. Remember, Jeff Sessions, the former senator from Alabama, who was one that well race, liked. Yes. Could lose a primary to go up against Doug Jones. Because Donald Trump is going to pay him back because it was a lack of loyalty when he recused himself back uh, and got, you know, in Trump's mind, got this whole thing started. But I, I would not be terribly surprised if Donald Trump ends up endorsing Jeff Sessions, puts his arm around him and says, you know what, Jeff, you're going to win. Let's let's bring you back to the Senate. It's a only, good place for Only you. if he's the nominee. I don't think he would endorse him in a primary. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but who's... You mentioned that Matt Gates was considering moving to Alabama. That's what I heard. I mean, that's a rumor mill. I don't know. Boy, I tell you, that'd be dangerous. That guy, Matt Gates, is very strong. And, you know, we we talk often about Trump being a symptom. If Gates ever fell into that position, it would be, you know, where he was running for president. He's very strong and very dangerous, that guy. All right. So I mentioned before about uh, having Trump's... Not having Trump's charisma... I'm trying to replicate it. Right. You have some thoughts on the political future of Donald Trump Jr. Yeah, so Donald Trump Jr., I watched him on the CBS Morning Show with Gail, um, Oprah's best friend, uh, and he was being interviewed. And what I've seen of the... He's an interesting psychological background, right? So when he's 11 or 12 years old, his parents get divorced. He, you know says, I love my mom and I don't love you. You can go away. I don't want to talk to you ever again, right? So this actually, if you we think about Trump and his loyalty, this started a split that actually still suffers to this day or is maybe just closing where the president sort of looked at him as a traitor to him, to him because he supported Ivanka, um, Ivana, Ivana Trump, right? Sorry, yeah. it wasn't Ivanka. It was Ivana. 
I watched Donald Trump Jr. That man is running for president in 2024. <laughs> he is he is absolutely going to say, okay, even even if his father is to get impeached and removed, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go in in 2020 because he's going to say, I he's close enough in energy to his dad, and he has his freaking name. I don't and see the the uh, the Trump the Trump phenomenon. He's a He's certainly a better choice than Ivanka because Ivanka actually is a Democrat from from all indications. So the idea that she was going to run as a Republican and sort of take over the dynasty doesn't make that much sense. Donald Trump Jr. has the perfect combination of um, arrogance and uh, uh, he does not bluster. Have, does not have the charisma of his father. No, but he's but doesn't he's related to it. But it's uh, related. That's, I'm just that's saying. what's going to count in the end. I'm not that's saying he's going to be the next president of the United States. I'm just saying it all would right. not. All right, I'm let's, putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you can say that this week. This week you can say that because you're number one. Next week you don't get away with it. All right. Okay, let's let's, move, let's on. move on to our last uh, our last hot take, and this has become a tradition. Here is that that we end it with uh, looking across the pond to what's going on, what's going on in Britain. And Britain has a new Speaker Speaker of the the House House of Commons, Sir Lindsey Hoyle. What do you think? Sir Lindsey Hoyle, who was uh, John Burkow's deputy and really had the best chance to to win, though there were some good. Chris Bryant was an interesting choice on the labor side Mm -hmm. um, who uh, stood up and gave a really good speech. Hoyle is an interesting character in a very different style from Burkow. He's also a sir, and you and I have trying to figure out exactly like when he was knighted. Um, yeah, it looks like it was about 20 years ago when his father was uh, his father, who was just a, who was a politician, who was a working class mm-hmm. politician, um, was uh, put into the House of Lords, and somehow he became a uh, sir because of okay. that. I think that's makes sense. What, what's interesting about what I've always found interesting about Hoyle is he's very different style than Burkow. He's far less entertaining to watch, but he occasionally gets really angry. So, like, if, if when he says order, order, you know, Burkow would go order, order, and keep saying order until he got it. Hoyle's fuse is very short. He'll say order twice. If you don't stop talking, he will scream at the top of his lungs, you know, and I'm not going to do it because nobody wants to hear it, but just imagine the order coming at the top of his lungs. Um, and, and But then he's also the mildest of men and very, you know, very sweet. So he'll scream at you order and then say, listen, if you would do me a favor and please let's move on from this question. And it's just, it, it, it strikes me that he came from sort of a high born place and that that's part of his style. Also, I just want to say one thing about Kenneth Clark, mm-hmm. who was the father of the house, who ran the elections for the House of Commons a really lovely person who is now being kicked out of his party by Boris Johnson. It was his last day along with Burkow. So tip of the cap to Sir Kenneth Clark. Okay. All right. So let's move on to our final segment. And this is where we usually uh, appoint or anoint a, a guardian of the week, someone who puts their political and personal fortunes aside in order to prote- protect the republic. And we have what do you got this slight, week, Patrick? We got, we got Patrick, slight, what do you got this week? We got a slightly different take because I don't have anybody, but you wanted to nomina- I don't know. nominate a potential future guardian of the week. That's correct. That's that's the best we could do. We really didn't. We we went back and forth on this, and and we could not find anyone who had stepped up in that way that we've had recently. So many. I'm going to go with a future guardian of the week. I'm going to go with John Thune, the senator from South Dakota. And here's why. John Thune, we've discussed him once before on the show. Very tall. Think of Superman. Looks like Clark Kent. Very handsome dude. 
about two weeks ago came out and was talking about the, the situation in Ukraine and said it was incredibly troubling. He then came out two days later and sort of said, well, we'll have to wait and see. But he did make just one little jump, just a little taste of dissension, right? Well, for all of the last number of years, his position is uh, second in the, in the Senate. He would stand directly behind Mitch McConnell for all of McConnell's press conferences. This past week, McConnell's giving his press conference. And Thune, who's normally over the left shoulder of Mitch McConnell, was now out of the shot. He was still there, but he was over by about two feet. And all you could see was his arm. (laughs) And you could see him shifting out of the shot. I don't want to be seen with this. I don't want my name attached to this, is what I was seeing. Then there was a moment where McConnell said, had, had told all the people around him, when I say I do not see the Senate at this time removing President Trump, if you look at it and you watch... All the senators who were there dispersed immediately. So it was clear, like, once I say this line, we're done. And don't stick around for for more questions because I want that to be the last word on the subject. McConnell got halfway through his statement and Thune starts walking away with this (laughs) awful, like, just pained look on his face. And the the dissonance in his eyes was so strong that I, I just had this moment and I went, there's a guy who could save our republic right there. Because you know he wants to. It's just how can he pull it off? Yeah, and that's it. That's that's the best. I, got, we have I have a, I have, a, I have a question about this uh, though, and we have to keep an eye on this. Is that is he doing that for his own political fortunes, or is he thinking about taking that step away and saying, "All right, whatever happens to me doesn't matter. I've got to st- stand up for the republic." I don't. Yeah. I don't know but, what the answer to that is. No. Yet. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, that if this were a movie, and you see that character. That looks like the guy who's going to flip because Romney's not going to be able to do it alone. So I'm putting out there that based on this one interview and understanding what happens when there's a camera there and your position in the shot that I believe that he's going to. uh, All right. John, John Thune, we've got our eye on you. So that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And you must give us a rating. Well, uh, must, but yes, no, you can't. You have to. When you, <laughs> as soon as you're done listening to this, you have to give us a rating. Nice. Also, you can give us a review. We love to read the reviews too. Check out our website at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter's at Twitter at guardians otr. If you have an idea for a guardian of the week, send yes, it into us for 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 those, uh, particularly at the local level. We like to to know what's going on around the states. There's probably people out there who are defending the republic that we want to know about. And thank you for joining myself and the number one pollster in America. We will be back with a new episode next week. See ya.